Hello everyone. I'm seeing quite a few new faces today or faces I haven't seen before. Just in case I'm from Peru. Naturally, I don't speak English as my native language, it's Spanish. And I have a son who is going to be two years old in a month, less than a month now. And I've been forcing him to be bilingual. And I'm pushing for him to speak Spanish and English at the same time. And that's causing a stall on me in so many ways because I'm kind of speaking now Spanglish. So <laughs> throughout my ceremony, you feel I'm saying some things you don't understand. It's probably Spanglish, just in case. But anyway, we are supposed to. <laughs> that's my excuse anyway. <laughs> but we are here to dig into this song. And what I want you to do now is to sink there in your seat. Uh, when was the last time that you felt in danger? When was the last time that you felt that you or someone you really care was in danger or were in danger? A time in your life when you just had felt that your life was being threatened. And what I want you to do is just to remember how was your attitude in that time? How was your reaction in that time? And how was your handling of that situation? Perhaps you were lucky enough not to have any dangerous situations in your life. You've never been in that situation where you really felt you were in danger. Uh, that's great. But personally for me, I had been in several situations where uh, my life was in danger. And it was tough and difficult sometimes. I particularly remember one, this particular situation where... We had been commissioned to go and reach and help the setting of the church and in the middle of the Amazon, to one of those villages, and it was deep, deep inside the Amazon. And they wouldn't speak Spanish at all, they would speak the local dialect. So communication was kind of difficult with them. And they would be, they tend to be not really engaging with outsiders either. So we were just Random bunch of guys just coming there, showing up, trying to be in touch with them and set up a church. That's great, and it? it's a great thing. So naturally, we have some people very good and very engaging and responding. But we also have, in a village of 100, 120 people, some people who were really not happy with us. And they were always keeping us in check. Everything we do, no matter where we go, they were always like, we always knew there was this bunch of guys who were this, always keeping us in check. I particularly remember this night, this particular night, middle of the night, just well past midnight probably, can't remember what time exactly, because generally when you are in the Amazon, there's no, there's no power there, so after 6 p.m. you just go to sleep, and then you wake up before 5, so that's kind of the way it works, but just can you imagine, just in the middle of the Amazon, we get this knock on the door, and I just come out to the place where we stay in, and when I come out, I just find this, there were a bunch of villagers with machetes, arrows, and shotguns in their hands, mad and yelling at me in broken Spanish and saying, you must leave now. I was like, kind of like, remember, this is the middle of the night. This is the Amazon. It's not like you're just going to catch a bus, get a call a taxi, and things are going to be easy for you. And you got these guys who are actually drunk. So it's even worse. So you don't really know what to do. So... I was like, you know, I was trying to deal with it and say, you know, the situation, we can in the middle of the hour, so we cannot leave now, it's midnight, at least give us a couple hours, then we can just leave when the day 
clears him, we can do that. After Stone just talking and talking, eventually they say, okay, first thing in the morning, you are living. And they were really serious. It was very scary. And so they left. I remember myself going back to my hammock, just scared, as you can imagine, grabbing a machete in one of my hands and singing a song in a quiet voice, based on that Psalm 27, but it's not there anymore. And the Spanish version of Psalm 27. And singing it very quietly in my, in my mind while I was there. I know, I still have a machete in my hands. I know, that, that doesn't say much of the point, trust me, but... Well, yeah, to make the story short, it was difficult for me to sleep that night, but eventually, the next day, the Lord was great. He did a miracle in that place, and we were able to stay for another few months. And after that, we were able to, after a lot of hard effort, we were able to set up a church. Now it's a vibrant church in that place. Just to make so short, it was a great thing. But it was that night particularly, I really felt scared. I really felt that if these guys wanted to do something, they would just done it. <laughs> and I remember not even telling the, the bunch of guys sitting next to me. I was just the one holding on, my, on myself and being so scared of it. But why am I telling you this? Am I telling you this because... As you can see, sometimes in life, waiting and under difficult times is tough. Sometimes in life, waiting when we have difficult situations where our lives are in danger, is really tough. And we are not very good at it. Doesn't matter how many years of a Christian you are. Doesn't matter how, how much of the law you know. Doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know. Doesn't matter how tough you think you are. And one of the things we can see in this psalm is that precisely this is a guy, the one who wrote this psalm, which is David, who is able to keep himself together in a difficult situation. And so, in so many ways, I would just want us to, to see that and see what, just slightly carefully what he says. But, We are never encouraged to suppose that Christian life will be easy and smooth or free from pressure. Actually, it's something we learn from the Psalms is that in general, that even in the toughness and the difficulties of times, the Psalms in general, what the Psalms teaches us is that we can pray and we can call upon God in any single situation in our lives, no matter what it is. If you're going to describe what can you learn from the whole Psalms, the 150 psalms is that doesn't matter what your situation is, you can count on God and you can pray on Him. You can name whatever situation you can think. Uh, times of despairs, when you are overwhelmed by danger, uh, or sometimes you are anger, or sometimes you are starving, or sometimes you feel like something is not right with you. And even sometimes when you feel that you are sin, you have sin. The psalms always teach us that we can always be in touch with God. And come close to him. Especially in those dangerous situations. As I described the one for myself. And as we're going to see the one from David. Some things to say before we dig into this psalm. About Psalm 27. A few things. That Psalm 27 along with Psalm 26 and 28. Are three psalms whose main topic. Talks about waiting in God. Or waiting in the Lord with confidence. They are like a triplet psalms. That are all part of the same idea altogether. 
that we can wait for the Lord's help in hope and in confidence under difficult circumstances. Words like the house of the Lord, temple and tabernacle are frequently mentioned there. You'll see it throughout these three songs particularly. Always been mentioned and mentioned. I'll tell you all the end why I think is that. And particularly about this song, no one can read this well-known Psalm 27 without being struck by the contrast that exists between the first one to six verses from the second part of the psalm, from 7 to 14. There is like a different contrast between both of them. And it is so marked that some commentators suggest that we have been, what we have here is probably two psalms who had been composed under different circumstances that probably had been merged together. Again, this is what some commentators think. We don't have a certainty to say that. But it's just the contrast between 1 to 6 from 7 to 14 that make us believe that, make us think that. But overall, both, both sections, if they have something in common, is that through all of them, we can see the reality of David's faith. And it is important, however, that to realize that this is not a faith that is fair weather only. This is not a faith that only behaves when God is good. But rather, this is a faith displaying these songs that behaves in a way that doesn't matter what the situation is, that the psalmist, David, still trusts in God under all the circumstances and under all the difficult pressures. This is the kind of faith that stands the shocks and pressures of life and comes out stronger from all these pressures. But to be honest, we can never have or display this kind of faith, this kind of confidence as David had, if we try to trust in a God that we don't know. One of the things we see through all the Psalms and through all the Psalms in generally, that whoever the writer of that particular Psalm you're reading is, he is speaking from a point of knowing who his maker is, for knowing who his God is. We cannot never develop a confidence in a God that we don't know. And perhaps that's something to keep in our hearts as we dig in into the world. If we want to know how we can face tough times in our lives, get to know your maker. Get to know your creator. Get to know who God is. Once you know who God is, you can actually develop the patience to deal with tough times. I think that's what we see. Again, I'm saying so many things in general about the Psalms before we dig into it. And I really like the way the Psalm finishes in verses 13 and 14. I just read it to you. And he finishes in this way. After all the struggles from the chapter, he says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. David definitely had to know his maker. To be able to land a psalm with those difficulties like this. And that's such a trustworthy way. Anyway, so I divided this psalm in three different things. So I'm going to be speaking from these three things today. The things that I think David did. And we can see in these things that we can actually do it ourselves. So there are three things I think he did. From one to three verse, from verses one to three, what David is doing is, David is remembering, or David remembers who God is. 
That is the first thing we see in this psalm, that he remembers who God is from verses 1 to 3. From verses 4 to 6, he not only remembers who God is, but he, David, delights in the beauty of God. So from 1 to 3, he remembers who God is. From 4 to 6, he decides to delight in the beauty of God. And in the last part, from 7 to 12, David not only remembers who God is, not only delights in the beauty of God, but also he resolves to walk in God's way. So those three things we're going to be seeing today. And you're saying, why are you not mention 13 and 14? I think 13 and 14 has a whole global effect onto the psalm that we'll, I will tell you at the end. So let's read for a moment 1 to 3. David remembers who God is. This is what he says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army beseech me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. If we are to wait with confidence in God, we must remember who God is. And if we're going to remember to who God is, it is so important that we see God rightly. We see God on whom He is, knowing the way we want Him to be. So many times when we try to see about God, we want to make God fit in our mind and our thinking in the way we want God to be. But it's something we see from David, as he sees God rightly. David was being hunted down by enemies. They were seeking him with violence to take his life, and they wanted him dead. Imagine yourself in that situation. I can imagine myself, I can relate to that. Seeing all the things that were going on through his mind, probably all the same things that would have been going through your mind in a situation like that. But perhaps not in David. Because it seems to us that David knew who God was. Look what he calls him. God is my light. He says, God was his light. That light that shines in the darkness. Even in his darkness, God was shining his light upon him. And guiding him for the, the way to go. God knew where to take him because God knows everything. He knows everything. He doesn't need to Google for things to know where he's going. God knows where to go and where to take us. And I think David starts with that. God is my light. Why is important? Why is the light so important? I'll tell you why it's important. Just an example. When you walk in the Amazon and it's so dark in the middle of the night and your flashlight is not working, light is very important in that way. So I think David says, light is so important because even when I'm struggling in this situation and I don't know where to go, God is my light. And He can help me to see clearly. He trusts that God is His life. And He knows where to take Him. But God wasn't only His light. He was also His salvation. It didn't matter who was surrounding David. It didn't matter who his enemy was. David knew that God was His salvation. And that whatever the enemy would be, they couldn't even touch him. They couldn't even close to him because he knew that God was his salvation. He also declared that God is his stronghold. He also declared that God is this stronghold. He's like 
fortress, as, as a different version would say. He wasn't alone. God was with him. He was this impenetrable fortress that no matter what the people around him would do, he would be able to keep him safe. I think this song talks about confidence in a way that we can trust in God. We can trust that God will protect us. We can trust that whatever the situation may be, God will be there to help us. I know it's very easy to say it. I know I can stand here as a preacher and say, yeah, yeah, that's the easiest thing to say. But I tell you, God can do it. You could say, like, okay, we are not David. David's been hunted down by his enemies. We are not a king who is, like, running away. So what can we learn from this song personally? I want you to, for a moment, to go for, for the verses 5, at this very instant. And we're going to read the, just the first part where it says, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. What do you think David is referring when he says this day of trouble? What do you think is the day of trouble for him? It would see in verses 2 and 3, we can say that perhaps the way the day of trouble would be evil men advancing against him, enemies attacking him, armies besieging him, wars breaking out against him. Perhaps that was his way or his day of trouble, but I think it didn't end there. Look down at verse 10 as well, what it says. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. His day of trouble was not only enemies besieging him, but also I think it was that friends and family deserting him. So basically I see what David is doing throughout the psalm is like he is expanding the concept of day of trouble and apply it to any sort of suffering that we could ever experience. So, whatever the day of trouble, whatever your day of trouble could be, someone attacking you or opposing you, causing you sadness, sickness, or whatever if it be, we can all add through this psalm and say, even in those difficult times, God is still good, and God is still my fortress, and God is still my salvation, and God can still Keep me safe in the day of troubles. I think it's a fascinating psalm. But, okay, you're saying this, but how do we generate a question is how do you really react in the day of trouble? One of the biggest temptations we may face when we are in these difficult days of troubles is to think wrongly about God. Because why? Because we come to God in desperate need. Trusting, okay, you're saying to trust in God. We're, we're going to trust in God. I'm going to pray to Him. I'm going to ask Him to keep me free, to set me free for this problem. I'm going to ask Him to do something for me. But then we go, we just go and wait and see it. And when you see it, you realize God doesn't do anything. And what do you think? There's something wrong with this. He may be not trustworthy. Because He's not doing what I want Him to do. And that's generally the danger in these difficult situations when it comes to trusting. Because it's easy to trust when we see God doing what we want. But what about when He doesn't? What about when you're praying for that cancer to go away? 
What about when you're praying for that family member to come to faith? What about when you're praying for your partner not to leave you? And he doesn't. Even in those difficult times, David comes back to us and says, I know that he will keep me safe. Whatever safe may be. This is a wonderful song from David. Because it opens up the whole life. Nobody promised that a Christian life is going to be great. It's going to be fascinating. Things are going to pop up once, once we want it. Actually, no, it's all the opposite. It gets even harder and harder and harder. Why? Because God has promised something better at the end. Something that is not accomplished in this life, but in the life to come. We can't get foreshadows of that. We can get some wee pictures of it. But that's not it at the end. So you think sometimes that God is good because your bank account is great? God's not good because of that. If you think that God is good because your life is great and your family is doing well, your children's got a job and all that, yeah, God is not good because of that. God is good because He is good. Despite what you get or what you don't. And I think we can see through this song that doesn't matter what the situation is, David still thinks and still believes and still proclaims that God is good. You see, brothers and sisters, that one of the things we can always keep in our minds that our confidence starts not when we see our deliverance, but our confidence starts when we see our deliverer. Mighty. Sovereign, powerful, ruling from his throne, lifted up high, doing what he wants, when he wants, in the way he wants it. Perhaps I'll say it again. Confidence doesn't start when we see our deliverance. It starts when we see our deliverance. Rightly, in power. And I think that's one of the good things that this psalm does for us. God is all those things from one to three that David is saying. He is light. He is salvation. He is your stronghold. But David doesn't say that the Lord is light. He doesn't say that the Lord is salvation. Salvation is strange and far away from him. Rather, he says that the Lord is his life. David says, the Lord is my life. The Lord is my salvation. He implies a sense of belonging. What can we say about that? How do we consider God? Is God your life? We all know God is life. Is God your salvation? We all know God is salvation, but is God your? Do you have this sense of belonging that David has? Is God your life? Is God your salvation? If the answer is yes, then who shall we fear? As David said, 
But whom shall I fear? Am I going to be scared of this? David said, no, I won't. So what he chooses to do, David, first, he chooses to remember who God is. Who God is, he's his light, he's his salvation, he's his stronghold. He is the deliverer, mighty. He is the God maker of the universe. He is God sovereign. Do what he wants, when he wants, in the time he wants it. Once David sees that, he can go on to the next bit, which is, not only he's seeing who God is, he's remembering who God is, but now he decides to delight in the beauty of God. Verses 4 to 6, this is what he says. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek Him in His temple. For in His day, for in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe, in his dwelling, he will hide me in the shelter of his second tent and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. So, sorry, at his, at his second tent, I will sacrifice with joy, with shouts of joy. Here we see David delighting on the beauty of God. To not lose heart, to not give in into temptation while we wait on God. We must delight ourselves in the beauty or in the beauty of God. But the question is, what is the beauty of God that he's talking about here? I think the beauty of God is the truth of God. It's the perfection of God in all his attributes. His wisdom, his power, his love, his justice, and so many more things that we can not name just now. But you're saying, like, what is the difference between remembering who God is and delighting in the beauty of God? What is the difference between 4 to 6 in compared to 3 to 1 to 3? Well, I think it's one thing to remember who God is. I think it's one thing to remember the truth about God and to be aware of who God is. But it's quite another different thing to delight in that beauty of who God is. The word beauty, verses 4, means Delightful or to be delightful means to bring pleasure, something that brings pleasure and satisfaction to our lives. So to be a Christian, in other words, is more than simply knowing facts about God. It's more than just knowing what the Bible says. But to be a Christian, it means to taste and see that God is good. And not only to see that God is good, but to choose to delight in His goodness. To delight in all the things that He is. So, it is possible to find pleasure in God. Pure, exhilarating pleasure and joy. When we do that, when a believer does that, he finds himself. He does not escape from reality, but actually he conquers it by discovering a deeper and greater reality in which and by which he is able to cope with life in all its pressures. He finds in fact something larger than life. And those effects do not wear off. Because what? Because he finds himself that God is powerful and majestic. And he chooses to delight in him. But what is, if we choose to delight in Him, 
what this delighted in him has to do with confidence? Why is it important? Okay, yeah, you're saying, yeah, we have to delight in him. Why? Why is it important to delight in him? Well, let's check again verse 5. Well, verse 4 says that, why does he want to delight in him? He wants to gaze the beauty of God. And then verse 5 says, why? Because he says he wants to be safe in the day of trouble. He is delighting in the beauty of God, even in the day of trouble. Even where situations raises and situations get tough, he chooses to delight in him. In those times when we feel we don't belong, those times when we feel like the situation is out of control, those times when we feel like seriously bad, those times when we are like hopeless, David chose to delight in God, and so we must. You will tell me, yeah, it's easy to say from a pulpit, put it, put it into practice, let's see what you get. We just got to do it. David himself wasn't a perfect person at all. His life was always in troubles. He was always running away, being hunted down. Always doing good things, always doing bad things. But yet still, he knew what, he knew who his maker was. And he still desired to delight in him. And we see in verse 6 where this, where this old delight in taken. Verse 6 says that, Then my head would be exulting about the enemies who surround me at his sacred tent. And I will sing, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make music to the Lord. He is able to walk around with his head held high, singing songs to the Lord. He has joy, and this joy is rooted in the satisfying beauty of God that will never change. Before we move to the next one, one of the things I really like about this part, this part is that in verse 4, he asks one thing I ask from the Lord. The only one, the only one I do seek. It's just one thing he's seeking, one thing he's asking. He's not asking to be famous. He's not asking to be successful. He's not asking to be rich or blessed. But what he asks is to dwell in the house of the Lord. To gaze the beauty of the Lord. Because why? Because his joy was in God. And because his joy was in God, his, enemy could, his enemies couldn't touch him. Failure couldn't touch him. God kept and said. It is important to keep in check what we do desire. In the case of David, he was desiring to dwell with the Lord. I wonder what we really desire in our hearts. Generally, what we desire in our hearts reveals where our confidence is. Have you ever heard a person saying like, if I only get this, I will finally be happy. Oh, I only make millions. Ah, finally, I'll just raise and enjoy this. Oh, if I only get married, I will do this. Have you ever heard that? Just I'm just filling the blanks. But you know this, have you ever heard this, if I only... So many times what we seek reveals where our confidence is. For David, he's not seeking all these things. The only thing David is seeking in verse 4 is like, I want to dwell with the Lord. Why? Because I want to rejoice, want to delight myself into this beauty. 
And that's what I want. He wanted one thing, to delight in the beauty of God. In compared to the beauty of God, everything else is like, is like rubbish for him. Just for a moment, think about it. Think what your desires are. Are your desires rooted in the satisfaction to be with God? Or are you just rooting in your own personal comfort? Do not take me wrong, I'm not saying personal comfort is bad. But what I'm saying is like when we replace all personal comfort as the goal for satisfaction rather than missing for satisfaction and rejoicing in God, that becomes a problem. But David, come back to David, doesn't only resort himself to remember who God is. He doesn't only desire to delight in God. He does also resolve, verses 7 to 12, to walk in God. In God's way. So if we do wanna, if we do want to wait with confidence and hope in God, we should resolve to walk in God's way. David trusts that the Lord will be merciful to him. One of the repeating ideas of this section from 7 to 12 is a constantly mention of he is desiring to seek in God's faith, faith, faith. Sorry. Basically, he is, uh, this is a repeated idea from verses 4. In verse 4, he mentioned that he wants, he's only, he wants to seek the Lord. He wants to dwell where the Lord is. In verses 8, he says, I want to seek you, Lord. I want to seek your presence. I want to be in your presence. So he trusts that the voice that shouts and sings and sings in him, he sings to him in worship in verse 6, can also be confident that the Lord will hear him when he prays and in verse 7, praying is one aspect of seeking the Lord. What David does in verse 4, seeking him in his temple, he is also instructed to do in verse 8. Okay, we are seeing all of this. This is what David is doing. I know where you're following my life and thinking. I hope you do. But we are, we are seeing all the things that David is doing. We are seeing all this great. But yet we see from verses 2... 7 until 12, actually. There seems to be a conflict with David. In one sense, he do trust in God. But in another sense, he is like, Lord, please be merciful to me. Hear me. Oh, Lord, uh, do not hide your face from me. There is a there is this sense of fighting and wrestling in his mind. Why? Because, as I said before, David was still a sinner. David was a person who was a murderer at some point, an adulterer, a liar. So it's so easy to imagine why David would wrestle in these verses with this question. Will God really forsake me? Will God have hide his face from me? He might be thinking like, I want to gaze on the beauty of God, but am I a sinner? How am I going to do that? That's why in verse 7 he says, Please, Lord, I plead for mercy. Please have mercy on me. That is why I said at the beginning, this, from 1 to 6, there seems to be something going on, and from 7 to 14, there seems to be a different contrast, something different going on. But I think it's all just much all together. In his wrestling, he remembers what God has asked for him. 
Look what it says, verse 8. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. A better translation from, eight would be, from verse 8 would say, To my heart, he has said, seek my face. And what I think David is remembering here, he's remembered that at some point, at one point, God asked him, asked his people, not him particularly, his forefathers, to seek his face in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I think that invitation was always present in David's mind. He knew that what God really wanted from his people was to seek to him. To seek to him. And I think that's what he keeps in mind in, in this situation. God will, God will never call for a law and withhold his own. So he knows if God is always wanted to be sick, then David could seek to him. And it doesn't matter what a situation would be for him. God will be there forever present. And this is what produces a profound confidence to the point that he expresses verse 10. Where he says, like, even when my father, my mother would forsake me, I know he will not forsake me. Why? Because God was asking me to seek him before. And why? Because I know he will be there for me. I think what he, I think he picks the image of parenthood here, not as a, not thinking his parents were very bad or meaningful or very, very mean people. But I think he's just using a, as a reference to say that, if the most improbable thing ever happened, even if the most improbable thing ever happened, like my parents that changed my nappies or they changed my, my diapers, nappies, or whatever you want to call them, ever forsake me, even the most improbable happens, David knew, God will not. God will be there for me. This psalm is all about confidence. Whether you are in the first section, one to six, or whether you are in the second section, seven to fourteen. There is a confidence in God. David had confidence. Do we? And one of the things about verse 10 is like, this confidence expressed in verse 10 leads him in verses 11 to obedience. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me the straight path because of my oppressors. When we have seen who God is, we can trust him. When we trust Him, we can walk in His way, His ways. When we walk in His ways, we are no longer afraid of where He would take us. And we are no longer afraid where He would take us. We can go wherever He leads us. We just decide to follow Him. Perhaps you wonder, why can't I not be obedient? Why I can't be obedient to the Lord? Perhaps you're not trusting Him properly. And why you cannot trust him properly? Perhaps you don't know enough of him. It goes from one way to another. This is, this is probably the last few minutes and I'll finish. Another of the issues that we face generally and the troubles is that rather than being compelled, as I said, to amaze in the beauty of God and to be fascinated by who God is, sometimes in this day of troubles we do Self-focus on ourselves. Focus on ourselves. And we do think, oh, there's something in me to fix it. We always want to fix our own troubles. And that's something common and always happening. Personal in me. Like, you remember my story? I was trusting in God, but what had in my hand? 
beginning of my story, had a machete with me, right? So much trusting for me. I was trusting that the Lord will keep me safe. But in one, in one of my hands, I was trying to solve the problem on my own. What was, what was the way to solve the problem on my own? Having a machete next to me. And in so many ways, when it comes to trusting, we are kind of like that. In one way, we do want our way in trusting God. But in the other way, this is a better way to solve it. Let's do it that way. And it's in these situations when we do that, that we become less focused on God and more focused on, our, on ourselves. And we lose the full perspective of the situation. And God's become so small for us and the situations we are facing because even bigger. So what has David do what has David done in order to wait for God? Three main things. He decided to remember who God is. He decided to delight in who God is. And he decided to follow and obey God's way. But one of the things that you can see throughout this passage as well is that there is a constant mention of the word temple, tabernacle, the house of God throughout this passage. It's something very compelling. As I said, verses to, uh, chapter 26, chapter 27. So, how can God, how can David have the confidence that God will rescue him? It seems like the answer for him straight is like he goes to the temple, he goes to the temple. But one of the things we know because of the time, that David wasn't the one who built the temple, did we? It was his son, the one who built the temple. And one of the things that David is saying constantly, he wants to, he wants to be at the temple. He wants to, to go and gaze in the temple of God. I wonder, what is he meaning by it? Wouldn't it be that he's not actually meaning a physical temple? But he's meaning the place where God dwells. Which at the time could be the tabernacle which was a foreshadow of the war who once became flesh. Of the war that chapter John, verse, uh, John chapter 1, verse 14 says, it became flesh and dwelt among us. Or it's better translated from the Greek, and the one who put his tabernacle, his tabernacle among us. It is funny, when David is talking about trust, he says, I want to go to the temple. I want to be in a temple. I want to dwell in a temple. And we put that in context. I do think that temple for ourselves could be Jesus. The real temple. The real, the dwelling place where God lives. The place where mercy and justice leads. Why is David always confident that God will rescue him? Why is David always confident that God will be there for him? Because he was hoping for his Messiah, for Jesus. Why can we have confidence that God will be there for us? Because that's what his son, Jesus Christ, has said to us. He is Jesus, the dwelling place from God on earth. He was, he is, and he will be. He is the new temple that wasn't built from, from David. 
He is the better temple. He is the only temple. The one we can trust. So how do I end this son? David seeks for the temple, the dwelling place for God, where he could find mercy. In the New Testament, that is Jesus. In whom we can gaze on the beauty of God. David knew that God will not forsake him. In the same way, if we do believe Jesus, he has promised that he will never forsake us. Can we face difficult times? Can we face time of troubles? Can we go for difficult times in our lives? Yes, we can. Why? Because we got Jesus.